Um, so I have, I have three daughters, uh, and the, the youngest one is 13 months old, and she, I don't know what it is about daughters, like I'm already pretty soft as it is, but like the third one made me even softer, and, and I don't know what it is about her, but like she has got my number. Like she, like, she can play me in ways that I didn't think were possible, like I have become a fool for her, and it's pretty amazing, but what's incredible about this, this, this girl, Priscilla is her name, is that she, um, I taught her something that like, Jen probably is mad at me for it. She's told me she's mad at me for it. So um, where I thought it was really cute, she would grab your face and like pull it your direction, like to look at her and then point at something. And it was really cute at first, but now it's like, get your hands off me, you know, like. But one of the things about Priscilla that I figured out is that she's incredibly selfish. She's never once said thank you to me. You know, she's never once said, hey, dad, can I get you some coffee? She's never, she's never once. In fact, she she demands her food when she wants it. She, she asks for it very inappropriately, and she screams until she gets it. And then um, she, when she wants to wake up, she wakes up. There's no, like, go back to sleep. She doesn't listen that way. She doesn't, she's never made me breakfast. She's, like, I have to clean up after her. I have to feed her. In fact, Jen does more of that than me. But we have to spend this whole time, like, caring for her needs. She's incredibly selfish. I mean, I, I don't know, like, I know that it's, if you're a parent, you get this, but she's got those like really chubby little cute hands, you know, and she's, she's always pulling me with these chubby cute hands and, and, and it's, it's adorable. But at the same point, it's like, how can someone be so incredibly selfish? I mean, seriously, like, like there is not, she doesn't do a single, like she brings me joy and that's great. And I love her. Like, I'm, this isn't a, Hey, kid for sale kind of moment. Like I'm just, <laughs> just saying like, I'm just saying like the, the kid, she's, She's about her and her way, and it's, it's her way or no way, and that's like, that's how it goes. And, and we, we discipline, so this isn't a parenting thing, but what I, I just can't help but feel like she's incredibly selfish. And what I realized as I was comparing and thinking about her is that realistically, if we were really, really, really honest, I mean, really, really honest, we may not look at the person next to us and pull their face to get their attention and point at something we want. We may not do that, but really at the root of it, it, at the core of everything that we are, we're just as selfish as that 13-month-old baby. We just hide it better, right? We mask it better. We, we, use, we use social media or we, we, don't, we may not throw a fit like, like drop down on the ground kicking and screaming. If you do, like you need, you need help. But if we may not do that, but we, we do our own thing where we do it passive aggressively or we, um, we try and manipulate people, or we lie to people, we do whatever we can to get our way. In fact, at the root of it, we're really, really selfish. And again, like I said, we aren't expecting people to do everything for us, but most of our decisions are made by what is going to benefit us. What's going to benefit me? In fact, let me, let's just do a little, little exercise here. If you could have anything in the world, I mean, anything at all, like if you could have whatever you wanted, it said, okay, you get this, whatever this one thing is, whatever it is, it could be absolutely anything. No rules, no lines, no like only one wish, nothing like that. If you could have absolutely anything in the world, what would it be? Like, just think about that right now. Like, if someone said, well, what would be? Some of you are struggling. Like, man, there's so much. What would I do? Like, I want this. Or, I don't know. What if I, what if I said it this way? What if I said, okay, not one thing. What if you just had a little bit more of, of something? It could be anything you have, but a little bit more of something. What, what, what would it be? My, my bet is, and this isn't to be totally harsh, but my bet is, is that whatever you decided on both of those things, it benefited you. Right? Whatever you, whatever that one thing you wanted, you were like, oh man, like, would I want more money? Would I want, oh, maybe more knowledge? Would I want a better relationship? Oh, it'd be great to have more friendship or, oh, it'd be, and, and whatever your answer was, it was selfishly set up. It, I want 
X or Y. Even when it comes to a little bit more of something. A little bit more time in the day so I can get more done. A little bit more obedient children. A little bit more money. Like whatever the more was, at in, in, in the root of it, it's ultimately selfish. And, and you know what? Like The problem, like this, this isn't just in us individuals. The church, we've done a really, really bad job of this too. Right, we've, we've led as a church, the greater church in general, across the, across the world, we've, we've led in a way that it's about you. Right? You, do you, was, was the sermon, was the guy funny enough? If he's funny enough, I'll listen. Was, was the music good enough? Well, I can't really worship when he's off key a little bit. <laughs> what? Right? You, you make your decisions. And again, not all these decisions are bad things. We're like, oh, should I, should I go here and do this because, well, I like this, I don't like that. And, and some of it's made with the reality of I can make these decisions a little bit better or I know that I work better in this environment. So it's not evil in that necessarily, but it's still self-rooted. It's still rooted in what is it? what am I going to get out of it? In fact, some of you, like right now, are sitting in a, in a classroom, or you're sitting here right now, and your kids are in a classroom being taken care of, and, and, and they're being taught God's word, and you're going, I won't ever go do that. But yet someone else is doing it for you. Right? See, like we, we make these decisions all the time. We, we pick food that's easier for us. We, it's all selfishly motivated. Well, the problem and the root of that is, is that where we are in the text today is in direct opposition of self. And whether it's find a church you like or, or find a relationship you like or, or find the right job, all of those things are good and beautiful things and not evil. But, but the problem is, is that when we use them for our own selfish will, we're that 13-month-old child just pulling someone's face and saying, pay attention to me. And when we don't get it, we throw a fit. And everyone knows that I wouldn't give Priscilla everything she wants because I know there are certain things that she shouldn't have. So, so the problem is, is that we have this, this selfishness inside of us. In fact, and you don't have to answer this question, but my bet is, is even though we're in a church, right, we're in a church, it's a building, whatever, but we are the church, but we're, we're at church, you're attending church. Then when I said, if you could have anything ever, most of us probably wouldn't have said, you know, I just want a little bit more of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're thinking right there. Oh, you're the pastor. You had to say that. Like, no, I don't think I would have answered that question that way. Uh, Mike did a sermon here a year ago about heaven and talked about like if we actually valued union with God, we would we would view less of, of our life in this world and more of what it meant to be with Christ. And I feel like our our hearts have gotten so selfish. We're just growing thirteen month old chubby hand people, getting the way, getting our way one person at a time or one place at another, and we're missing it entirely. We're missing it completely because we're so in the way of that. And so the, the text today, although we're, it, it's a really, really hard set of scripture, I believe it is so, so timely for all of us. It was timely in my life. And my hope is, is that, is that as, as we dig in today, that you would just learn a little bit more of what it really means to not be so selfish, but to actually be under God's will and not yours. See, there's, 
This is the, the text we're in. Is the, it's the culmination. So if you have your, if your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. But this is, this is kind of the turning point. Danny taught last week, and he talked about how literally the, the, the turning of the text, kind of the, the midway point, even though it's where it is, is, is Peter confessing that Jesus is the Son of God and that God is the one that revealed. Jesus tells Peter that God is the one that revealed that to him, right? And so, so he, he's revealed this truth to you. And that's kind of the culmination. And then from here on is this shift in ministry. 16 is that transition where, where we see Jesus predominantly spending most of his time with his disciples. Now, I say that his disciples, if, hear me on this, if you are in here and you bear the name of Christ, if you're like, I'm a Christian, or you're, you're too hipster to say that, so you're like, well, I follow Jesus, or whatever the, whatever the term is, right? Whatever you use, if you align, if you align yourself with Christ, right, you are his disciple. So when he says he turns to teach to the disciples, you should incline your ear to go, he's talking to me. He has something specific to say to Bren. He has something specific to say to you. So when you hear Jesus teaching the disciples, you see him turning, he's saying something to you. He's saying something to you. And so he, he turns to this. And from that time is where the verse 21 is where we are. It says from that time. So, so after Peter's confession, we, we know that essentially from Peter's confession from here on, we don't know how long that confession was to that from that time, but either way, from there on, this is kind of that pivotal point. This is the changing of the ministry. From that time, Jesus began to show, and the Gospel of Mark says teach there, show or teach his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so we don't know how long this, this teaching or this showing was. We, I, I don't think he was doing like a, you know, a velvet puppet kind of musketeer thing. I don't know what he was doing. But he's, he's teaching and showing the disciples. And, and the one word I want to focus on this is that he must go. He must. He doesn't say he hoped to go. He doesn't say it might happen someday. It's I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer in the name of God. I must be crucified. I must be put to death. I must be. And he's, so he's laying this out. And so if I'm the disciples and I'm sitting there, I'm kind of listening to this conversation. I, like they had just pronounced him Messiah, son of God. They had just said, you're it. You're the Messiah. And Danny made the joke last week. Like a lot of the Jews believed that like in essence that the Messiah would come out of the womb with a sword in hand, like ready to conquer Rome. Like that was kind of the idea of the Messiah. And so, so they had just come to this, wait, wait, with all the power and, and then the prominence and, and the value and the, like your kingship. Wait, wait, what? Suffer? What? I, I kind of feel like the, the disciples tuned out on the last part of the, and three days later be raised again. I feel like they didn't even get to there. Like, wait, 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 tell me, wait, beaten? Oh, wait, you're going to be tried, but, but wrongfully tried? Like, wait, I'm, I'm confused. Like, tell me more about this. Like, this doesn't make sense. You must go. And Jesus, and this, the suffering and death of Jesus was a must because of two great facts. Man's sin and God's love. It had to happen. Man's sin and God's love. It had to happen in Jerusalem, and I can't really unpack that, but essentially a bunch of promises in the Old Testament talk about Jerusalem being in that spot. It, Jerusalem's name was peace, and there's a bunch more things behind it. But ultimately, it's in that spot that it's going to happen, but the culmination of the event is where it is. So if he didn't go, he would have made God and all the prophecies kind of wrong. But, but he's going because of man's sin and, and God's love for man. And so he must die. He must do it. Although death was the ultimate example of man's sin against God, it was also the supreme expression of God's love to man. And so he says he must go. 
He's like, I don't have a, I don't have a choice. This, this is, this is why I'm here. Right? He said at the very beginning, I'm, I'm here. It's not, I'm here to do the Father's will. So this, this is why I'm here. I'm here to, to, to change everything. I'm here to, I'm here to make all things new. I'm here to do what the Father sent me to do. And so he says, this is what I must do. And in that conversation, we don't know how it plays out, but Peter, being one with, you know, gusto and strength, um, Peter took him aside, and, uh, verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And so he, Peter, this is interesting. First off, uh, it would have been really, really not politically correct or right for a disciple to rebuke a rabbi. Like that was, that's a no-no, so that doesn't normally happen. But Peter's like going, wait, 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 wait. And he pulls Jesus aside and he's like, no way. And then I think he throws Lord in there to show that he's still submitted. No way, Lord. You know, kind of like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm submitted to you, right? No way, Lord. You can't, you can't do that. That's, that doesn't make sense. You, you got all the power. You got all the presence. Like, you're Messiah. I just declared this to you. Like, and you said that God was, was the one that revealed it to me to declare to you. And so you essentially said, yes, I am that. Like, how is this going to work out? And I, I, I joke about this. Peter gets kind of a, a bad rap because he's, I don't know, he's, he's kind of doing stupid things a lot of times. But he's also doing a lot of really amazing things. I think Peter's motivation in this was right. Like, I think it was a genuine motivation. He came to Jesus like, oh, whoa, whoa. I mean, granted, rebuke is a strong word, and it's, it's to correct, but maybe that was because he was like, man, I heard from God just a little bit ago, remember? Like, he was kind of feeling a little confident, like, obviously God's speaking to me here because I'm saying the right answers, and so maybe that was it. But I think his motivation in all wasn't to, wasn't in essence to, to contradict Jesus, but he's like, you can't be right. And this is reading into it some, but, but I think his motivation was like, Jesus, like, this is, this is, you're the Messiah. Oh, I, you can't, you can't suffer those things. This is, I can't handle this. And maybe there was some self-preservation in there. Like, but I'm following you. And if that's going to happen to you, what does it mean for me? And he's, he's saying, you can't do it. Well, this is, this is no way. Peter saw the Messiah as the embodiment of power and strength instead of as a suffering servant. See, but, but Peter couldn't handle a suffering Messiah. He couldn't handle it. So he, he stops, pulls Jesus' teaching aside, right, and says, hang on, hang on. I also think it's worth saying this, and this is, again, me reading into the text. If Jesus was like most of the Jewish rabbis in that day, I don't think Peter would have approached him at all. See, that way, I don't, again, rebuking a, a, a rabbi or teacher was... was Really a big no-no, right? But I think Jesus led in a way of intimate relationship and relational that, that Peter actually felt like he had a right to enter into that conversation with him, albeit completely wrongly done. But I think because because he had, he had seen Jesus and he knew Jesus loved him and he'd seen him mess up a number of times and Jesus still loving him, I feel like Peter's like, I can have this conversation with Jesus because I know him. And, and if nothing else out of this text, it's just a side note. Maybe some of you right now, you're wrestling with, with aspects about Jesus or truth or whatever, and you're like, I can't have that conversation with him. It seems kind of harsh or rude. Or I think this is kind of fair game. <laughs> Go to the Lord with this stuff. Like, let him really, really struggle on your heart and point at you and poke at you and, and find the ways and cut away the flesh and show you what he's doing. Like, come to him with these things. Like, Peter had an intimate enough relationship with Jesus that he felt okay to do it. Now, again, he, he did it wrong. And then here's Jesus' answer. 
<laughs> Verses, uh, verse 23. But he turned and said, and we, we get in the Gospel of Mark that he stops him, basically, like stops Peter's rebuke. So mid-sentence. So Peter was like on point A, working to like A2, and he hadn't gotten there yet. Jesus like stops it. Okay, so he stops his conversation. He turns to him and says, says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Did Jesus, like, wake up on the wrong side of bed or not have his cup of coffee? I mean, like, that sounds really harsh, doesn't it? I mean, seriously, Jesus is like, Whoa, get behind me, Satan. Like, how dare you speak to me like this? Right? And we know, there's certain things we know about Jesus, right? First off is that he, he, is, he is free of sin. And he's, he's full of truth and love and grace and truth at the same time. So, so I, I feel like there's another reason why, obviously, Jesus is being so direct with Peter. So direct. He's, he, he rebukes him, and he's like, look, you guys. He's like, Peter, you get behind me. You're, you're, you're missing it. And he tells us at the end of this. He says, you're focusing your mind. You're setting your mind on the things of, not on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, so he rebukes him. He's I think he's basically saying, look, God's way to salvation does not correspond with man's way. Peter, you're wrong. In fact, what the world says about the way this is supposed to be, what, what the world expects is, is, is kind of aligned with Satan and his thinking. In fact, this is the same stuff that Satan offered me in the temptation. Deny this stuff. Walk from this. Not, you can do this. Take the easy way, Jesus. Take the easy way. It's, it's totally fine. Like It won't be hard. Like This is good. You can just have this and kind of skip that whole plan thing. In fact, the reason why I think that Peter, or why Jesus was so direct to Peter, I feel like it almost had less to do with Peter and, and more to do with the fact that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And let me, let me say that for a second here. If you fast forward way ahead to Luke 22, um, verses 42, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. It's just before he's arrested, and so he knows the time is coming. And he's, he sets the three disciples and says, hey, sit here and pray. They keep falling asleep. That's another message. But he, he, comes to, he comes to this spot to start praying. And this is the prayer we have. It says, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. We have this setting where, where Jesus is he's, he's asking God to remove the cup that he has to drink. But he, he ends it with culminating on, but not my will, but yours. But then we see him agonizing so much so that an angel comes from heaven and has to minister to him. Right? And again, I, I've talked about this before. I don't think that's because of the pain he was about to endure. I think that's because of the cup of wrath of God that he's going to have to drink in place of all of us. He's going to have to take on that. And that's where this agony is coming. And so if I think if the, the man side of Jesus, if he's felt the temptations that all of us have felt, part of him is looking at, at, Paul, at Peter and going, look, man, I already am struggling a little bit. Like, I know I'm supposed to do God's will here, but it's going to be hard. And you are a hindrance. That word is a, it's a snare. It's an entrapment. Your, your words are trapping me in those things. It's, it's dangerous for me to listen to these words. So he's, he just, look, it's, look, I'm, I'm here for a purpose. And he just, squashes it right there. Like, what would it be like for you and I to be so focused in on God's will that we just squash it? I'm not saying you look to your wife and be like, get behind me, Satan. Like, I'm not saying that, right? <laughs> but what I'm saying is, what would it look like if we were actually that focused on God's will in our life that, that when anything came in, it's like, no, no. That's, that, that's nice and that's pleasant and I like that and even kind of looks right, but it's not God's will, so therefore, away. 
Get behind me. Get behind me. See, Jesus knew what he was going to have to endure. When he faced Jerusalem, he knew what that march meant. He knew what he came here for. He wasn't confused by it. And Peter, albeit a decent motivation or feeling like he was right, was, was wrong. He was looking at man's way. Peter, Peter said, what, what Peter was saying didn't line up with Scripture. What Peter was offering was like, whoa, whoa, that doesn't even, that's not even what Scripture is. We have like Isaiah 53, right? We know what, what the, the Messiah is here to do. So Peter didn't, didn't align with Scripture. Peter, what Peter said also was in contradiction with the spiritual authority over him. And so he was, he was in the wrong. And so Jesus is saying, no, no, you can't, you can't say that to me. I don't think he didn't have a cup of coffee. I think he was just that direct saying, what I'm about to do is so hard, so difficult. I need you to get behind me here because I'm moving. I'm going. And I think he says get behind, and then he comes into this next section right here, and he starts speaking to the disciples. He says, he says, then Jesus told his disciples. So he had this conversation with Peter, and then he comes to the disciples. Now, this is again me reading into it. I kind of feel like anytime Peter <laughs> took Jesus aside, the rest of the disciples are kind of going, oh man, what's going to happen now? <laughs> right? Because he's kind of like watching a train wreck, right? It's like, it could be awesome. Like the dude's going to walk in water, or oops, man, look at that. He just called him Satan, right? Like, I mean, like, whoo, this is getting out of control. So I feel like the disciples probably heard some of that conversation, but that's my own thing. <laughs> but anyways, and I also think it's worth saying this, like just, I don't know, a week before, a day before, the day of, whenever the text was before this, just before Jesus um, tells, or just just after Jesus tells Peter that he's been revealed something by God and he's spoken something incredibly truthful and powerful, he completely falls and jumps back into his own strength and his own will, his own pain, speaks out of his own context. One moment he's got this Holy Spirit speaking through him, lining him with God's words, and the next moment he's he's losing his flesh it's so in line with what the, what the enemy speaks. And I feel like if nothing else, that gives me hope, Right? I know a lot of us sometimes are like, I think this is God's will. Like, God's will says this. Like, sometimes it's like, man, you're, you're there, and you're right. It's in that. And then other times it's just your own selfishness speaking into that. And so Peter, he's like, man, good job. High five upon this rock. We're going to build this church. It's going to be awesome. And then, ooh, get behind me, Satan. Like, it's just like, whew, polar opposites, right? But it's pretty, pretty neat if we follow Peter's life all the way through, right? So then in verse 24, and this is where I think Jesus, he kind of picks us up. and He invites Peter back into this. And he invites the other disciples into this. And this is where I think you and I can start to understand a little bit more of God's will. Like right now, you may be making decisions. You're like, do I, do I do this or do I go there? Do I have this relationship? Do we get married? Do we not get married? Do we spend money on this? Do we move? Like you're making decisions. You go, what is God's will in all of this? What do I do? And I feel like a lot of it right here will be clearer if you can just take this text and let the Spirit really lead you in it. And so Peter, Jesus says, and Jesus told his disciples, says, if anyone would come after me, so if you want to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you want to, if you want to come after me, if you want to, if you want to be like me, if you want to call yourself, bear the name of Christian, you want me to be the Messiah, then you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And I love that it's three things. I never really picked up on that. But he starts with this idea of deny yourself. And the deny word comes from a Greek word that literally means to completely abandon. In fact, this word right here is the same word that Peter did to Jesus before the rooster crowed. Mind blown, right? Like, whoa, you abandoned Jesus. It's the same word there. He says, deny is, is completely disown or complete abandonment. 
And then he says self, not, a, not an individual that's made in the image of God, but like the self, the rebellious flesh state that we, we're at battle with all the time. The self that's not renewed in Christ. And so he's saying, you must abandon yourself. You must disown your flesh. Run like a complete disownment. And I think this is, this is the first roadblock for most of us being disciples of Jesus, right? We don't abandon self. We're still that chubby hand, 13-month-old baby. Walking around going, I want my way. I want my way. Give me what I want. Come on now. Put your face. Focus. Focus. Give me this. And we throw a fit and we do it. And he's saying, you must deny yourself. You must abandon this self. You must give way of this. He says, to deny yourself is to to literally abandon all of your self-sufficiency. You got nothing. This isn't a new message. Jesus talked about this in the Beatitudes. Be poor in spirit, right? I come to the table with nothing. Nothing at all. I am I am completely worthless in it of myself, but because of God and what He's done, I am a beautiful creation. And I can be redeemed in a right relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. So it's denying your selfish ways. This gets in the way. And it doesn't get any easier. Where Jesus goes is the very next thing, right? If you can't deny yourself, it's going to be virtually impossible to take up your cross. That's why I love that he did it in this order. You deny yourself. You you, you let go of your own self-sufficiency. You you abandon your ways, and you then take up your cross. And everyone in this day knew what this meant. They weren't confused by it. There's there's all sorts of numbers or whatever. They assume sometime Romans rule over over Jerusalem in that in that area. They around thirty thousand crucifixions is kind of one number that was thrown out there. It was a it was a horrific way to die. I mean a horrible way to die. And everyone knew that this was it was not a good thing. Like we today use that, well, this is just the cross I have to bear. It's like you they wouldn't have said that then. They wouldn't have been like, all right, let's just carry this cross up that hill. Let's gonna be fun. Like that was not a comment that was used loosely. And so Jesus says, you must die to yourself. You must deny yourself. And then he says, now take up your cross. And what's different about take up your cross and deny yourself is take up your cross is literally at any cost. See, we're not, we're not, I want to be clear, we're not taking up the cross. Jesus already took the cross for us. He paid, we just sent, he paid for all of it. We just sang it, right? Everything was paid for by him. So then now we have a cross to bear. To take up a cross isn't just suffering a physical illness or trials or hardships that are experienced at times. To take up a cross is simply to be willing to at any price for Christ's sake. The willingness to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution, and even martyrdom for his sake. Not die to my desires or die to my relationships, not some compartmentalist death, but literally die to the entirety of who I was apart from Christ. See, I feel like a lot of times, most of us, if we're really honest, we don't ask Jesus, like, hey, we don't say take up a cross. We kind of wish that he'd say, can I, t- can I just roll an ankle here? Like, can I, can I break a bone or two? But do I really, like, do you really want me to die how about, how about just like, you know, this, this arm, I don't need this arm. Let's just, let's, just, let's just cut this arm off and call it good. Most of us, when it comes to the cost of dying to the completely of who we are, we, we don't want to do that. We don't like the thought of that pain. And so he's saying you deny yourself, and now at any cost. What, what's the cost for you? What, 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 are you, what are you afraid of? In fact, I kind of said it this way in the first service. It's, it's like everything is on the table, 
It, like when it comes to take up your cross, it's, it's it's like your life, your family, your money, your your relationships, your reputation. It's all on the table. There's nothing off the table. You're saying, Jesus, it's yours. I've died to this. So if it costs me this, it costs me this. I can't, I can't help but feel, and I, I struggle with this. I feel like it's fairly offensive for me. I'll use me as this when I struggle to put something on the table. God, I know it's going to cost, but this is a lot of personal time here. Like, I don't want to... Can we just keep that one off the table for a while? Can you give me a break? Can you give me a breather? God, I know it's a, it's just it's a lot of money. God, like, we, we don't have it. Or, man, I just... I really want to sleep in. Why do I have to serve at, at church? Like, come on. It's like... It's, I don't even like kids. Like, don't put me in there, right? We, we have all kinds of things we put off on these things. I can't help but feel how incredibly offensive that is for our brothers and sisters around the world that don't even get to keep their life off the table. Right? I mean, does that, does that sink in at all? That we have brothers and sisters that they don't even have the option of keeping their life off the table, let alone some luxury items that we want? We have brothers and sisters today that are being persecuted for their life and they don't get to go, well, I'm just going to keep that watch on or a little bit more time on Sunday in place. I don't want to... I don't want to put that on. He's like, no, their life is on the table and they don't get to remove it. See, I, I feel like this is where we struggle a lot. It's okay, we'll deny ourselves. Okay, don't do this. That's great. But then when it comes to what it costs us, we're like, whoa, whoa, that's expensive. Hey, sticker shock. Wow. I was told that this following Jesus thing was like fluffy bunnies, an easy pathway, and you know, you get everything you want. He said, no, it costs you absolutely everything. It costs Jesus everything. You want to come after him? Deny yourself. Die to yourself. Deny to your selfish, self-sufficient ways. Put everything on the table. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And then I love that. After he says, okay, now that you've denied yourself and you, you have to die to yourself, okay, now follow me. Come on, let's go. And if, you've, if you can get to a spot where you're like, okay, I understand what it means to, to deny myself. That means that I'm not self-sufficient. It's Christ alone that's done it. Great. Okay, I know I'm going to wrestle for the rest of my life on to take up my cross daily, as the Gospel of Mark says. To literally do this on a daily basis, I'm going to have to die to something today. I'm going to have to die to my time, my reputation, my friendships, my job, my finances. I'm going to have to die in some way. You get there. Then he says, okay, now follow me. I, lo- I love that he did that because that's the, the, the next step in it, right? Okay, well, then, then actually do what my word says now. Good job. You died yourself, denied. Now let's live in obedience. John tells us that, that like, to love God is to keep his commandments, right? And to keep his commandments, then we, we remain in his love. And if we do that, that our joy is made completely full. It's funny. It's, it's not about us, but it kind of feels nice to know that when I obey God... When I, when I live by the Spirit inside of me to obey God, and I, I'm remaining in His love, and then I'm going to find this complete joy. Which is funny, because if we go back to the denying yourself, and, the, and, the, and the, or the dying to yourself, and the denying yourself, most of the reason why we're so selfish in that is because we want joy. We believe that this portion of my self-sufficiency, that's a tough word, right? Self-sufficiency will actually get me joy. We believe that if we hold on to these finances or this time or this relationship, that it will instill joy. And he says, no, no, no. No, you missed it. Die to yourself, follow me. And this is, church, this is where we, I think, struggle the most. 
we struggle in the follow me part because the scriptures are very clear about a lot of things and we love to culturally accept them or moderately accept them or make ourselves a little asterisk or exception to them. It says, follow me at any cost. May, it may mean for you, like some of you, it literally may mean that it's time for you to abandon a lot of self. You're, you're at the spot where it's like, man, I can't even, like when you asked about like what's one thing, I had a list of 10 things and every single one of them benefited me. And look, some of the some of the things that we desire to have to have health or to have a good relationship or to know where, where God's taking us or to, to, to do the, the work that you feel He's called you to do, all those things are good, but when they when they become the thing, that you're not dead to them. You're instead saying, No, I like look, Jesus, let me pull you aside here, buddy. I'm gonna rebuke you for a second, like Peter did. I know you say this about me. But come on, you don't really get it. Obviously, I'm like in the know here. I know that my will is better than yours. None of us would say that, but we live that way practically daily. And Jesus goes on, says, if you didn't understand it, if you needed more of a kick in the teeth, here you go. He says, he says, in verse 25, kind of the paradox of this whole thing, he says, for whoever loses his life, or whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what, what shall a man give in return for his soul? And so he just basically says, look, you can gain everything in the world, but if it costs you your soul, it's not worth it. He says, it doesn't matter. Like, go back to that list that I said at the beginning. I said, what was that one thing you wanted? What, were, what are you willing to expend for that? What are you willing to put out of the pocket for that? Are you, are you willing to give your life to that thing, to that identity, that relationship, that reputation, that friendship, that, that, that alcohol? Are you willing to give it all? Like, if you want to, you want to just go ahead and lay it out. Like, what, are you willing to lose your soul for that? And he's saying, look, you can gain everything. You could own this entire world. But if you cost your soul, it was the worst investment you've ever made. And Jesus says, well, what benefit it is? There's nothing, there's nothing in this world that's going to benefit you. Like I am. That's what Jesus is saying. See, you don't, you don't, you don't get it. Like you, you, you can keep chasing these things, but you're, you're missing the fact that I'm the one that you want. You, you want to follow me. And then he goes on into um, verses 27 down. He says, for the, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he does has done. And I feel like this is kind of a breath of fresh air from Jesus going, okay guys, but I will come back and I'll take care of you, don't worry. <laughs> like I, I feel like he's like, okay, die to yourself, and everyone's kind of like, oh, oh, this is, like, wait, we got to do what you're going to do? Like, you just sat there and said what the Son of Man was going to have to endure, and we didn't like it, and now you're saying, oh, we're going to have to do it too, but to less lesser scale than you. This still stinks. He says, but hey, I'm coming back. Don't worry, guys. I'm coming back. Like you, you like don't like. I'm gonna come back. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do this. This is why we, we joked about when we started the Revolution 22. It was the name Revolution was we want to take part in the revolution that Jesus already began. We're not gonna a re- revolt is an uprising, right? It's, it's, it's taking from what has already happened, and there is not going. No one will re-revolutionize what Jesus has done until he comes back. So all we have to do is take part in what he's already doing. He says, look, I'm, I'm doing something. Take part in this. Let me do my thing. Watch. It's going to be amazing what I do. 
And I've, I've invited people like you. And I mean, look, Peter got in. So you guys are like, you know, it's okay. Like, really, trust me, right? And he's like, You're, you can be in if Peter can, right? And he's like, we got all this. I've invited you. And watch what I do. And I'll come back. I'm going to come back. And don't worry. Like, I'm going to do it. And then he, in verse 28, he talks about, um, I think it ties more to, for chapter 17. But he says, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I believe he's, there's a lot of scholars that, wrestle with that. I believe he's speaking of the transfiguration that we'll talk about next week. And so, so Jesus is saying, look, I'm coming back. Look, take up your cross. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Despite the circumstances, despite the possible dangers and pains that you may feel, this is the way to be. There is no crossless obedience to Christ. There's, there's no way to be obedient to Christ without the cross. And the fact that the cross happened, now we bear our cross. And it's not just some discomfort, although sometimes it may play out in small ways. Literally, sometimes it may play out in ways where you're like, I need to actually get up and be a part of this body, this small C church that God has me, and I'm going to actually use some of the gifts he's given me. Even though I don't like kids, I'm going to do it. No, well, like kids, please. But, but either way, like some of it is there's small things to this. Maybe for you it's not this complete abandonment, but you've got all these little things that are just completely awry. This relationship the money, the way you serve God, the way you study God's word, like they're just all missing. And it's just this kind of reorienting. Jesus is saying, let me, like, deny yourself and die to yourself and eat to those things and watch what happens when you follow me with them. Just watch. It's not, it's not going to be easy. I'm not promising you easy. In fact, this is a pretty much a precursor to guaranteeing that it's not going to be easy at all. In fact, it's going to be really, really hard, but he's given us a spirit to do this. He says, this is the way it's supposed to be. God's refining, refining process will always carry with it pain. And, I, and then I wrote it in my notes this way. When, when unholiness meets holiness, there's always a violent reaction. We saw that in the cross. So when you, when you step into a, a, a bit of holiness, because as a holy priesthood, as those aligned with Christ, as those, when you step into this world and start living that way, like it's going to, there's going to be some crashing. There's going to be some violent reactions. There's going to be people coming to say, no, no, I know what the Bible says, but you know what? You're in college. Drink away. I know what the Bible says about marriage. It's okay. You know what? Just do whatever you want with each other. It's great. And just say, look, this is, this is a, a deny yourself, die to self, and follow me. The band's going to come up, and we're going we're gonna to worship some more. But I, I wanted to fast forward to Peter because Peter <laughs> denied denied Jesus, right? He, he does all these things. We have this, like, polarizing, like, I think you get the pendulum with Peter, like, what not to do and what to do, and you try and find the middle, right? But I love, if you go to First Peter chapter 2, um, verse 24, you can write it down and come to it later. Peter writes this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Do you imagine how beautiful that must have felt for him to write that like do you think like like what Peter went through like do you, like, do you get that like what he went through to get to a spot where he's like oh man I missed it you know how, you imagine like I, I picture him just like snot fest tears falling down like just by his wounds I'm healed man left on my own I wanted my own way I wanted my way not God's will we see Jesus model that for us in the garden not my will, but your will be done. But he doesn't do it as lip service. 
He doesn't just sing it. He actually surrenders. He actually denies himself, takes up his cross, and follows God. And he's asking us to do the same to him, and he's given us the way to do it. He's bore our sins. I, I picture Peter going, man, I can't even, like, his list of sins is like out of control, but I'm righteous because of him. I can follow him because of him. See, maybe our problem with us taking up our small little cross is that we don't realize how big of a cross Jesus took for us. You, you're, you're missing it. Following him, is, is, it begins with denying yourself. It begins with dying to yourself. You follow him because he has created you to follow him. We pray, Father, I pray for everyone in the room that's struggling right now to um, discern whether it's your will or theirs. God, I pray that you would um, just crush into their heart, crash into their heart, crush them. Let all of our own selfish will be nothing and let your will be super clear and prevalent, God. God, for those in the room that are really um, struggling with conviction right now, they're battling with the fact that they know that there are aspects of their life that they haven't surrendered, that they haven't given to you, that they haven't died to themselves or denied themselves. God, I pray that you would push harder in that conviction, not allow them to run to shame. That's the enemy pushing in lies. Let them hear um, your truth and grace, God. God, for those of us that, that, that line ourselves, call ourselves Christians, that, that say we are a little Christ, God, would we take up our cross? Would we come after you? Would we deny ourselves? God, there are areas in which each of us needs to deny ourselves today, and I pray that you would push hard on that in a way that's relentless because you love us, in a way that brings us to full surrender because you've given us the spirit to do so, in a way that brings immense glory to you because that's what we're made for. We pray all this in Jesus' name.